The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining us today on the show for Pride Month is Jason Wu, the chair of Gap Ipney. One of the things I was saying before we went to break is that I think it's really important to get intersectional. And so we're going to be talking about the intersections of the queer and trans community with the Asian and Pacific Islander communities because, again, um, these communities intersect. And then also your work in terms of making sure that class and disability and all of those other intersections we talk about on this show um, are considered. So thank you so much for joining. Um, it is Pride Month, and we also um, have been talking throughout this month about all the different things related to Pride. We've we've had a number of different segments that I've loved, so I'm happy to have you here. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So um, I, I wanted to start, actually, with joy, because Pride Month, I feel like, in a lot of ways, is about joy. And instead of starting with questions about hate crimes or discrimination, um, the queer and trans community um, that intersects with AAPI identity um, faces in this particular moment, we can get to that. But just as we are in Pride Month, we're almost at the end. Um, what has what are what have been your sources of joy <laughs> during Pride Month? I love that question. So, um, as we all know, Beyonce gave us a real gift this month. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, Break My Soul has been giving me joy. I've been listening to it on repeat for the seven hundredth time. Um, so, I think like so much of what gives me joy is through like art and culture. Um, and also, I think, you know, dance music, it brings our communities together. It's a uh, time for us to let loose because um, I think you're right. I think sometimes there is a tendency to focus on the kind of trauma and horrific things that happen to marginalized communities. But at the same time, we're also here. We are um, trying to also just enjoy our lives and celebrate and celebrate ourselves and our communities. It's so important to have that space to do that. I mean, I, I too have been finding joy in the new Beyonce song, which I've added to my playlist, which is at this point, 100% K-pop. I, I like it's, it's sort of gradually over the course of the pandemic, like I would add a K-pop song, then another one, and then another one. And the whole playlist is now K-pop and now Beyonce as well. Um, and it's, it's called Good Mood. <laughs> um, and it's just all about trying to trying to find that good mood, especially because we've been in this pandemic and that's been... Um, I'm still working through that because we're still in it. Um, but in terms of, you know, those sources of joy, I feel like, you know, sometimes they come from a song. Sometimes they come from community itself. Um, and also, you know, the events that we see during Pride Month, like parades um, and other events um, that just give people the space to let loose are so important right now. What are some of the things that you are doing throughout the course of Pride Month 
to create that space for people to feel just a little bit of joy, a little bit of release in a time that's very difficult on like every front, every front. Yeah, um, you know, for Pride Month here in New York City, I think there's a lot of times a focus on um, the official, you know, Heritage of Pride parade on June 26th, but there's a lot of programming, official programming throughout the month, including Brooklyn Pride and Queens Pride. And um, there's also just community events that are going on all month. And so Gapimni is, well, we've had a presence at a number of these different events. We're also doing our own picnic uh, June 25th, which will be in Central Park. Um, we're also having folks march in the Queer Liberation March, which is, which is an alternative to the Heritage of Pride Parade. Um, where there's no corporations or cops. Um, mm. And then we're also co-organizing a community uh, queer dance party called Color Me Queer, which we've been doing for a number of years. And the proceeds um, go back into funding a, a number of different LGBTQ um, people of color organizations in New York City. So you mentioned um, the alternative march. And I've, I've actually, um, last uh, June, I remember doing, I think Jonathan Capehart wrote a column about it, and I remember doing a segment about this debate about Pride Month and not just the corporate sort of influence and takeover of Pride, the Pride Parade itself, but also um, law enforcement um, and the debate over even members of the queer community that are in law enforcement, how they can attend and sort of have a relationship with the parade itself, um, you know, and showing up um, and having a, a large law enforcement presence obviously is triggering and problematic in, in a lot of different ways. You know, in terms of that that ongoing conversation, you know, 2020, that racial reckoning period, I feel like launched a lot of these conversations to the, into the mainstream, but the queer and trans community, they've been having these conversations. Um, where do they stand now in terms of the, the corporatization of the parade itself? Um, and, and the presence, the heavy presence of law enforcement, which again, has a very complicated relationship with the community. Um, and, and do you, do you see that conversation moving to a place where there's a better understanding than there was, um, before the racial reckoning in 2020? I think that, you know, the movements that you're referencing have been, have been building for a long time and, um, I think there is a, a growing awareness of some of these issues and also what some of the alternatives are. And so queer liber the Queer Liberation March is just one example of an alternative yeah. to kind of the mainstream Heritage of Pride March. But I think it also reflects some of the tension among our communities that do have different opinions because we're not monolithic. Um, that's true of communities of color. That's true of LGBTQ communities. Um, I think it's important to acknowledge like why, you know, the, the corporate, uh, heavy cop presence pride is, um, a problem for, for the most vulnerable within our communities. Cause I think those are the ones who are often overlooked. You know, we have folks in our communities who are undocumented. We have folks in our community who are sex workers. Um, we have folks in our community who, um, are targeted by police in a number of different ways or have been criminalized. And so it's not a safe space for um, those members of our community uh, when there is a heavy police presence. Right. Um, and I also think in terms of the piece around 
you know, rainbow capitalism or the corporatization of pride, um, we have to remember what pride is all about, right? It's about celebration and, you know, there's a time for us to come together and party, but it's also about resisting state violence. Um, that's what Stonewall is about. Um, and so we should never lose sight that that is part of our history. That is also what's happening in our communities right now, that struggle against um, criminalization and police violence, and that the most vulnerable within, within our communities are homeless, are people who are sex workers who are undocumented um, and, and experiencing a number of different issues uh, by, uh, under the oppression of the state. One of the things um, that's also become a, a topic of conversation um, in COVID is the rise and epidemic um, that was unfolding before our eyes of hate crimes committed um, against the AAPI community um, because of the rhetoric around COVID um, coming from the White House um, and conservative media spaces. Um, and really, I think, unless you, I, I, I mean, I, I think that I have a deep empathy because I can relate to the idea of going outside and feeling unsafe because of what my body looks like, right? Um, like I can understand um, that principle, but I do think that there was such a a unique aspect to AAPA hate crimes that we've seen throughout this pandemic, just in terms of the sheer terrorism of it. Um, we also lived through the Atlanta spa shooting. And I just think that we, we may have lost sight a bit um, of what's important. You um, have, have engaged in the conversation about um, hate crime legislation and whether that kind of um, policy changes the right the right way to go, the wrong way to go. In terms of this conversation about how to address these types of hate crimes and acts of violence, I mean, part of it starts with a conversation, right? Um, and and then where do you think we go from there? Yeah, I, I really appreciate your framing of the question because sometimes people get stuck at this place of, oh, I just need to better understand or I don't know enough to weigh in. Um, and we need to move beyond just rhetoric. We need action. And I think especially for people with power, um, elected officials, we always hear a lot of empty rhetoric, thoughts and prayers, um, especially after these shootings and other um, attacks. Um, and we do want action. And I think that, you know, if we've learned anything, <laughs> Um, over these past few years from Black Lives Matter, it's that um, what is the role of policing and prisons in our country? Mm. Um, we spend billions of dollars criminalizing and incarcerating social problems. Um, and that disproportionately impacts Black communities, uh, poor communities, and, and, and it also impacts trans communities. Um, and so we, we're not going to incarcerate our way out of bias mm. um, or anti-Asian attacks or anti-LGBTQ attacks or any other forms of um, what we call hate crimes. Um, and if that's if we can uh, if we understand that, then what are the things that we need to heal and build a kind of society where we can all be safe? And so I think we have to address the root causes of inequality in our society. Um, and as Audre Lorde says, um, the, the very famous Black lesbian poet, you know, we don't live 
Um, we don't have single issue struggles because we don't live single issue lives. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be able to address the, the intersectionality of our experience, which, which is rooted um, for many of our communities in an experience of inequality. Um, and so we have to address housing, education, um, healthcare, um, all of these different things that makes our, our community safe. Um, that's what we have to do. I mean, it's such an important part of this conversation. And I've talked on this show and also on my Peacock show um, to t Chase uh, Strangio from at the ACLU throughout, you know, all of the waves of state legislation, anti-trans laws, um, you know, the don't say gay bill. And one of the things that um, they pointed out frequently um, is that there's a limit <laughs> to, to, you know, our ability to fight everything in court. Um, and I think that, you know, when you watch Eyes on the Prize <laughs> or, or something like that, a documentary that talks about some of these social struggles and civil rights struggles of the past, one of the things you realize is that there is more than one person doing work. There's a lawyer doing something. There's an activist doing something. Um, there's, an, you know, there are ordinary citizens cooking the meals for volunteers. There are, everybody's doing something. It's not just one thing that sort of gets you to the, you know, on the path towards liberation. It's all of these things happening all at once. One of the other questions I had for you um, is um, simply um, because I saw this on um, the website um, and it's a conversation that I don't think that a lot of people, unless they sort of exist in feminist, intersectional feminist spaces, they may not have even realized um, that these conversations were happening. But I noticed on your site that you um, prefer the terms queer and trans um, as including um, many of the identities that fall under the LGBTQ plus umbrella. Um, can you talk about the definitions and, and, and why um, on the site that you, you note that and, and sort of highlight that? Because I think actually in explaining that, that helps a lot of people understand how, what these terms mean and, and how we, we apply them. Sure. Um, first, I just want to say thank you for bringing Chase Strangio, um, uh, their work into this conversation. Um, I know I know they've also talked about kind of the limits of, of law reform and um, the need for material re redistribution. And mm -hmm. I just want to underscore that um, our communities re need resources, they need investment. Um, and that's not theoretical, it's not abstract. Like there's dollars that can go into our communities that can go into funding community organizations that create safety. Um, so I wanna underscore that. Um, in terms of like the, the history of Gapimni, like we ended up, so the, the origin of the name is Gaijin Pacific Islander Men of New York. And um, a few year, years ago, we dropped the acronym, just the queer and trans um, Asian Pacific Islanders because we wanted to reflect the diversity of gender identity and expression within our membership um, that, you know, based on some of the, the terminology has been um, excluded um, or, or not centered. Um, and so that was a part of the shift. And, I, and then we also made a conscious effort to develop more um, trans justice and trans-centered programming, trans-led programming as an organization. And so we formed a trans justice committee. Um, and so all of that to say, you know, 
there's all of um, these different communities and identities within the umbrella. Um, but some of it is overlapping, but it's not all the same. And so we know that trans folks and people who are gender non-conforming often experience um, disproportionately the kind of violence and discrimination um, and are marginalized within our movements and organizations. And so it was a conscious effort for us to um, address that. I, I think it's, it's really helpful hearing that because, um, you know, if you are sort of engaged in these conversations all the time, um, the nuance um, sometimes gets lost. And this is none of this is explained in the mainstream media ever. So um, I think it's, it's, it's helpful. One of the other questions I have um, is, you know, in this moment, I feel like, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of bad, like I said, um, we're in COVID and, you know, it's been a very difficult time. Communities of color have been disproportionately impacted by COVID-19. Um, and, you know, in some instances, the consequence of that is permanent. Um, but also it's been a moment of more representation. Um, you have even we were just talking about the vice president, Kamala Harris, um, the first black and AAPI um, vice president and woman we've ever had in American history. Um, I think there's more representation. I mean, I was just even uh, saving Ms. Marvel on my <laughs> queue of things to watch next. Um, because I think that we're seeing representation in all facets of American society and culture right now. Um, do you feel like this is, this is a moment in which um, more representation is happening and, you know, the momentum is growing? Um, because I think that even just a few years ago, we didn't even see this much. Yeah, I think, I think there is. And, um, you know, I think that representation is important. I think we need more, more of our stories to be told. Um, I think storytelling is a part of social change work. Um, I think sometimes among, especially the, the left, there's a frustration with representation because it can, sometimes the win seems to only be that, you know, we're at the table, but it doesn't necessarily matter um, whether we're doing the change work when we're at the table. <laughs> um, and so, you know, there's a lot of politicians we can, we can criticize who have uh, taken on uh, leadership roles in our city, in our country, um, who, sh who can be doing more or who are act actually actively doing harm to our communities. So there's that. Um, but in terms of like the cultural representation I think it is happening, and I was really excited to see the, the film Fire Island, mm -hmm. uh, starring Bill Kim Booster and Bowen Yang, uh, and a really just all-around amazing cast, um, including many uh, actors who are queer and of color. Um, I did a screening with some of my friends earlier this month, and we were all just laughing the whole time, and it was just funny. It reflect th these are like people who are like my friends. We like we okay. we identify with the storyline and. It's just, it's a beautiful thing to have um, for sure. And, and it, I think a lot, we all want to see ourselves reflected in our culture because we've always been here. Um, and the representation now, it just speaks to, it's a beautiful thing, but also speaks to the erasure of, of our communities for, for so long. I know it's like when you, I, I remember, um, you know, going to see Black Panther or even Wonder Woman. And I'm like, why am I crying in the action scene? <laughs> And then I'm like, oh, it's because I've never seen something like this before. And I'm actually like deeply sad and also joy. Joy is happening. So it's like my body doesn't know what to do. But I think it's, it's right in line with your point that 
you know, it's great that we're seeing this amount of representation, but it's also reflective of the fact that, you know, we we didn't have it for so long. And that's why people are, are so grateful for it now because they realize what they were missing. Um, Jason, it's been so great to talk to you. Gap Ibney, chair, Jason Wu. Thank you so much for being here for this conversation. I love when we can get intersectional and talk about a variety of different identities and um, all of that. That is my jam. Um, I really um, am grateful to you for being here today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Stay safe. Listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday.